Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What is character and how does it play a role in building a good life? In this episode, I speak with Dr. Edward Brooks from the University of Oxford's Character Project. His research in theology and philosophy influences our understanding of virtue, ethics, leadership, and character development. Together, we talk about humility, Aristotle, and understanding leadership as a personal notion before a professional one. All our conversations take place with a live online audience. Sign up at wiserconversations.org to participate in the future. It's not necessarily the thing that comes easy. It's not always easy to do the right thing. It's not easy to be courageous or to stand for justice or to be as truthful as you want to be. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wiser Conversations, Together at Home. My name is Derek Handley. I'm an entrepreneur, an investor, a teacher, and a student. Each episode, I sit down live with an amazing thinker, an author, an artist, a religious or spiritual leader. We have a conversation to reflect on our lives and the world around us in these very surreal times. With all the uncertainty, there is no better moment than now to reflect on what matters to us and who we wish to become as we see out this pandemic. Welcome. So Ed, let's start with what, uh, if you could give people a picture, what it is you've been building over the last few years at Oxford, the character project, how it came about and what it's focused on at the moment. I think that would be really helpful just to give people a bit of a context of the incredible things that you're working on. Yeah, thanks. Well, I'd love to. So I'm here in, in Oxford, right in the heart of Oxford, actually, um, where I'm uh, calling in from. And here I head up something called the Oxford Character Project, which has been going since 2014 here in the university, doing two things, doing some research into character and leadership development, particularly thinking about this life stage of emerging adulthood, sort of 20s. So how do you grow um, in terms of personal character? How do you grow as a leader through um, the 20s? And uh, linking that to the development um, and delivery of, of um, uh, leadership development programs, uh, most particularly this program we run here at Oxford called the Global Leadership Initiative, um, which is a small cohort-based program which brings together these diverse groups of uh, super students from all over the world um, and follows through over, uh, over seven months, um, and which is now spread to um, other, other universities and um, different forms to 
um, different industry groups and so forth. So that's what we've been doing and, and, and trying to see how we can um, understand how we can kind of measure a bit as well about how character can, can grow and develop. How can we assess that? What does that mean? Am I right that it came out of a, an area around theology or a different part of a group that you, you were involved in? Is that right? I can't quite remember. Yeah, right. So it was a few conversations really joining, really came together. This is back in 2014 as we got going. Um, I think some senior um, professors who've been involved in the university for a long time were uh, talking as, um, as senior professors are, are want to do and discussing, you know, the state of the university and what was, uh, what was happening. Actually, Oxford's changed a fair bit in recent years. So a big change has been the growth in this incredible group of international masters and doctoral students. And so now half the university is made up of um, masters and postgraduate and DPhil uh, students from around the world um, who are uh, this incredibly bright and aspirational group who'll go off from here and to have this amazing impact in all kinds of different sectors and areas of society. Um, and also along, along with that, maybe then with the growth of the university, um, some changes in the way in which the kinds of education that Oxford was known for have been um, been delivered, and questions around whether Oxford was or whether university education, but Oxford, I guess, as we were asking the question, was um, still helping students to develop in ways which had historically been really important, and so not just in kind of knowledge intellectually or even in skills. This question about you know what you can what you can do and how you can become skilled up for a future career but in this fundamental question about personal becoming. Um, so that's the, the character question. And really the, the question that brought this to a head was, was one asked in light of the financial crash, you know, where I guess there'd been, um, yeah, a, lo a lot of you know, questions raised about, about leadership. And certainly those questions don't just uh, exist in finance, they exist beyond. But, but the question that raised, and one professor put it like this was, well, look, it's clear that, that uh, the University of Oxford, like other main, major institutions around the world, produces um, thinkers and leaders, okay? But here's the important question. Does the University of Oxford produce wise <clears throat> thinkers and good leaders? <clears throat> and that is all important. You know, we can easily kind of skate over that. You know, we need to raise up a new generation of leaders who want to become leaders. This is all good, but... You know, to assume, okay, of course we mean good leaders, not bad leaders. Well, that's a huge assumption. Um, and actually that's the all important thing because it's, it's kind of not self-evident that you kind of grow up and you kind of gain all these leadership skills that you're going to go use those in really positive ways. Um, that needs to be explored and historically has been kind of a fundamental part of, of education since the classical period. This idea about how you could um, orientate your life towards the good and towards uh, personal and societal flourishing. But that component of education, perhaps that component, which we can talk about as character education, but that had fallen away somewhat, but wasn't being prioritised for various reasons as it might have been. And so this project was really a response to, um, to that. And it was that group of professors coming together with um, this wonderful foundation called the Templeton World Charity Foundation, who have been really supportive of, um, of our work. And... Um, then a few different faculties, but yeah, there's the theology faculty here um, being being one of them, and then a, this wonderful kind of inter interdisciplinary initiative was was born, drawing together insights from um, philosophy, psychology, education, um, theology, as I as I mentioned, really thinking about well, what can we learn sociology in terms of this work on emerging 
adulthood, even there's some work on neuroscience about the um, kind of ongoing malleability of um, character. Um, the fact that you know we're not kind of settled and in our and our, our personality. And so what would you what would you call character? How would you describe it? Yeah, that's a that's a Steve the fundamental question. And with all these this this kind of discussion, these these terms uh, are taken by different people in in different ways. But look, let's come let's come to this and let's see if we can define something of it, and then we can maybe proceed from there. I think that's a good, that's a good place to start. I think we can think about character as the basic aspect of our existence so if you think about character as providing this is uh, one um, thinker put it providing the content of the i character is who we are okay so our character is made up of different qualities but these dispositions um, combine kind of our deepest understanding emotion motivation and action um, character can be cultivated it grows over time uh, can be corrupted also um, so it's not it's not fixed. It's visible in our context. It's social. It's shaped by cultural contexts. It's autonomous. It can develop kind of freely and rationally. It involves our principles and convictions. Uh, involves effort to develop it, and it can kind of go in two ways. And this is where character links to another idea, which is the idea of virtue. So character um, is kind of the, the the broad concept, if you like. But within character, you have different traits, and those traits can be positive or negative. And if you talk about positive character traits, then you're talking about what have historically been understood as virtues. And that word simply means, um, although it kind of has different, um, you know, it sounds different to different people, but the word really just means strength. So a virtue is a strength of character or an excellence of character. So the virtuous person is a person who is kind of excellent at being a human being. And some of these some of these virtues would be things like compassion or justice, hope, honesty, humility. OK, so lots of really fantastic, important qualities that I you know many of us would think, yeah, that, those are those are things that I would want to cultivate. Those things I want to, to characterize me at the deepest level and kind of display in my actions. And then obviously on the on the negative side as well, there are um, there are the character traits which aren't so positive, And we see some of those both. Um, in others, but of course, in our in ourselves too, we know they're there, and there'd be traits like dishonesty or um, or greed, um, uh, despair, uh, impatience, um, anger. Do you think, Ed, that people are most people are quite aware of their character? That's a great question. I think that we perhaps don't attend to it as much as we as we might do. You know, I think um, yeah, we we grow up, and actually, character is formed socially. Uh, and a lot of our character is formed you know, in, in our earlier education, in the context in which we're raised in the educated, educated context and so forth. And so some, some of it happens automatically. You know, we learn to behave kind of through these repeated practices and patterns um, just in the context we're in. So if you perhaps you grow up in a, in a context which really values hospitality, uh, maybe in a, in a family, it's always inviting others into um, to eat together, then it's likely that you'll grow up thinking, you know, and acting as though that's normal. And you become a person who's also hospitable yourself, and you, um, but you don't necessarily reflect on that. That's just you know, who you are, what you do, what you've always done. Um, I guess the challenge, but this is the emerging adulthood piece. When you get into your you know, bit, bit later on, then in life, is to take ownership of that process, right? To think, okay, well, I've I've developed this character. Others have helped me. There are these role models who have been around, so I've kind of become and grown like. But what do I want to do with that? Who do I want to be? Who do I want to become? And that's, uh, I think, a really important, a really good question to ask, a fundamental one. You know, where am I going? Who do I want to be in the world? 
what do you think are good ways for people to get a good uh, a good measure of their own character? Like I imagine it's quite difficult to do that on your own about yourself, like with pure, uh, you know, with honesty and kind of like real judgment from some distance that's like, okay, if I'm really honest about this, maybe I am not as hospitable as I think I might be. Or, or these things that you might've told yourself for a long time that, yeah, you're a very, I'm a very efficient person or I'm very, I have great humility or whatever it might be, but it's, it might be something, it's the distance between what it is and what you think is, is very large. And other people would say, actually, that's not at all what you're like. I would never describe you like that. How how can people get a good handle on a more, you know, holistic picture or, or idea of themselves? I think there are perhaps two ways I'd think straight off the bat. One would be reflection, so practice of reflection. And this has always been, this is part of this tradition of um, character formation going back to um, Aristotle in the classical world, is that it's formed intentionally and rationally. And so... Um, character is formed through reflective practices and so reflecting on action and um, you know, there have been some amazing people through through history who have um, journaled for example as a way to kind of cultivate that habit and practice of reflection uh, we could talk about Benjamin Franklin in a second he's, he's, he's a really interesting example in that regard with his uh, with his kind of intentional very intentional journal uh, the other way I'd think of is um, Friendship, which has also been really important in this uh, in this tradition of character development. It's not just something, of course, we, we need to take responsibility and ownership, as I said, for our own character. Um, but we're not um, isolated individuals. We exist in communities and character is formed collectively. Um, and so it's formed together. And friendship here, deep friendship, um, is really important we can talk more about i think friendship is is, is something which we, we could talk perhaps more about more about too but there i'm really talking about friendships of mutual accountability so friends who mm. will be honest with you mm. and will call you out on on things uh, it not in order to trip you up right but in order to help you to develop help you to become a better person the person that you want most want to want to be truly as well you mentioned aristotle and i know it influences a lot of your you know, the, the thoughts you've, you have, and I'm, I'm sure there are lots of other thinkers too, but I mean, he, I think he's said that uh, we are what we repeatedly do or something like that. Um, and is that one of the main ways of the, sh the way we shape and form and change our character? Uh, you mentioned also intentionality. So you make a decision, but then you have to really be that decision over and over again consistently to grow a, a, a trait or a virtue yes so um this is something aristotle is very very famous for and it's fundamental and he, he identifies these two kind of fundamental ways perhaps in the, in the first instance that characters form through um learning by example and through habitual action so he says that we uh, become builders by building you know you become good at being a harpist by playing the harp. And he uses this as an analogy and says, well, so you become just by doing just actions. You become honest by telling the truth, right? So there is this idea that, that stems back on habituation. And it's not just kind of oh, blindly automatic, but it's intentional and thoughtful habituation that can lead to these traits then being developed 
like skills to become second nature. In the first, it's difficult. You know, if you ever played played golf, I tried and um, and failed. Didn't have the sticking the sticking pair. Um, but it feels really awkward, right, to hold the club in the proper way and you swing and it's it's it's, it's kind of a bit a bit clunky. And you do it, you do it. Uh, eventually, so I'm told, you get to the stage where that feels you know very very normal. And of course, you see the pros on TV and they can hit the ball um, dead straight, really far. And it just looks like they've always been doing it. And that's the same with any skill that people have developed kind of to this high level of expertise through repeated practice. While characters formed in this similar, similar way, goal-orientated practice. But it, it can also work the other way around, right? So if you've got bad character traits or ones that you're unaware of or unconscious, the automaticity of them, the, the ritualization of them, can make them stronger or more persistent or just consistent and maybe even unconscious. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Yeah, I think that's 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 absolutely right. And that's a, a, you know, another good reason why it's important to you know, take stock and think, okay, well, actually, who am I? Am I the person I want to be? Um, who do I want to become? What, what patterns and practices am I in already? And maybe, you know, what are those that are part of the institution that I'm in which I've just picked up from others and actually, you know, are making me someone that I don't want to be, you know, mm. and that can, that can, that can certainly happen. It's part of the experience. Some people have later in their thirties, forties, maybe is to kind of wake up and think, Oh, I've become someone I never really set out to be. How on earth did that happen? Um, well, of course, if for 20 years you've been, you know, in a setting where you've been following ways of ways of being, which have kind of been prescribed for you, uh, maybe, and you've taken those on and you've, you've um you've developed in in certain ways then that's how you've become that that person but it might not have been um you know the person you really set out to be so that's the i think the thought is here you know make that habitual process of habituation intentional reflective and good right this is one really important insight that aristotle has so another would be about learning from examples and that being really important but, but a fundamental thing you know, that we need to grasp in this discussion i think is the character goes together with another big concept and that other big concept is flourishing, right? And the idea here is that character is developed over time, over a whole life, but that whole life is the good life. So this idea of, um, of character and of virtue is an idea of ethics, not simply as following checklists of, um, of rules and regulations, but of living well, um, of doing good and being good. Um, and that goodness being... Um, a goodness which we can kind of live towards and is fulfilled in the future and is, is, is holistic and is termed in Aristotle's language eudaimonia or flourishing. Um, it's, the, it's the good life and character is kind of the internal component of that good life. You know, other things as well to, to live out that good life fully, um, but character is the, the heart of it. Mm. And what if you feel, I know you're a very good person and so this probably never, happen, never happens to you, but it happens to me all the time. You kind of know what's good. You want to do the good thing, but there's another part of you that was like, well, actually, I just want to do this. You know, what's easier or today I just want to be lazy. Or, I mean, we must go through so many conflicts internally in our own little dialogue about knowing what the right thing to do is or the right thing to be is. And just on some days or other days, or just maybe all the time, it's just really hard. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. It's not the the easy life. It's the good life and not necessarily the easy life. I think it's it's Aquinas who says virtue is about the difficult and the good. Okay, so you've added a third one now. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> the character, good character. It's difficult and good. Yeah, but you can well think about it, right? You often talk about character being formed in times that are tough, right? Or it's it's not it's not the it's not necessarily the thing that comes easy. It's not always easy to do the right thing. It's not always easy to be courageous or to stand for justice or to um, you know be as truthful as you want to be. You know, the, the, the shortcut, the way out of the situation often seems to be, you know, to get to, to give up, to give in, to, you know, to be less than fully truthful in order to resolve a situation in a way which we can, we can see rather than being, you know, authentic to who we actually are and want to be. So I think we're all, as we, as we find ourselves, as we go through this process, if you talk to your friends, if you reflect honestly, I think we'll all find ourselves maybe there are some listening in who are kind of paragons of virtue, but in this middle ground, right? We're neither um, completely vicious nor completely virtuous, but on the way, it's a developmental journey. And so we're, yeah, always have uh, more we can grow in character traits, which are important and less than fully developed. Some which we thought we'd gone further down the road with, which we still need to work on um, more closely. Um, I think so. It, there are there's a kind of mixed nature to our to our characters, which is an important starting point. It's about being honest and facing up to the reality, and that's mm. not a depressing thing. That's just kind of okay. Well, this is where I am. Okay, now I want to grow. You know, I, I love running, and um, it's important to know right just where you're at. So you do a time trial, and you think, okay, well, look, this is what the watch says. You know, it's not lying to me. Now I know where I'm at. Now I know what my training is going to be. And then you come back into the time trial later on and you get another honest assessment. The other idea you spoke about earlier uh, of Aristotle's is models, right? So role models, people to model yourself or people to look up to or tell us a bit about that. Yes. Yeah, so um, one of the important ways <clears throat> and methods for growing in character is emulating virtuous exemplars. Um, and so if you like, we all have our, our kind of own hall of fame. You, we might not have kind of worked it all out and thought, well, here are my hall of fame. I think that's actually an excellent thing to do, by the way, mm -hmm. is to uh, work out who are your personal hall of fame. And they could be public or personal figures, people that you look up to and would like to become mm. alive or dead. Alive or dead. Yeah. Who, who mm. would you like to be like? And obviously not to, you know, copy everything they, they do, but what people that embody things that are important to you, which you would like to, to grow in. Because that's how we, we grow, even from the earliest years. You know, I've got small kids and we read them stories and those stories have got characters and those characters are examples of the kinds of ways of being and thinking mm. um, that we'd love our kids to, to grow in. Um, and this has always been the way. We tell stories and those stories have role models and those role models have complexities, but often they grow through certain difficult situations they overcome and they show us you know possibilities of how life and the good life could be could be lived and this is what uh, examples examples do for us and so you know, i think this is the leadership piece the so leadership importantly is that about setting that example setting an example for, for others and being self-conscious um in doing that but um yeah we all have our examples i guess the, the idea is to, to engage with those kind of clearly and intentionally and reflectively and then to seek to become more like the, the people that we, we admire. And admiration perhaps is, is central here. You know, I think admiration is basic. You know, we, we don't necessarily think, oh, look, um, you know, I, I, I have this person and that person is, for me, you know, just their model of um, integrity, justice and honesty. But we might just think, oh, no, I really admire that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
then reflecting on that admiration, we might then identify, okay, well, these are the things actually about them that I admire. And there's right. a good thing of doing that. But I think the admiration comes first. So right. think about the people that you, um, that you admire and why is the, is the question there. That's really, really brilliant thought. And I think um, the, the, the idea of a Hall of Fame or a, a virtual board or kind of coaches or whatever you think of them, however you think of them, is a really interesting idea. I read a book that you know had a really Im- profound impact on me when I was m- really young. Cool, it's a very famous book. Had lots of different views on it. Called "Think and Grow Rich" by Napoleon Hill, and he had said in the book, you know, you you should design your own. I think he called it a mastermind, like alive or dead, just people of people that you just uh, look up to, admire. There's a bit about them that's incredible, and you kind of create this portfolio of people and reflect on them. I think it's such a cool idea. And the thing I found difficult about doing that over the you know 20 years since I first read the book is there are people in that group that there are parts of them that I think are incredible and there are other parts that I don't really want to emulate. And it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to take the whole person, but I've got to be clear about which parts I really admire because some people have, well, everyone has flaws, but even your most admired people, when you actually scrape behind, there are bits of it you're like, oh, I wish that wasn't the case, but it is the case. And you got to take the person as they are. And I would rather keep them in my little group than chuck them out, you know? Yeah, completely. And there's an honesty in that too, isn't there? And I guess there's an understanding that our, the people we have as examples, are people who are on the way, on the same journey, you know, they're probably a little bit out, of, bit out ahead and we can grow um, as we learn to follow them. But they're also on their way to, um, mm. to becoming who they could fully, fully be. And this road to, to flourishing, as I say, takes... Uh, the whole life to be um, to be enacted, and um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's an ongoing developmental journey. We've all got room to grow. So, talking about models right now, obviously in a very strange time for a lot of different reasons. In the US, it's got its whole other set of different issues going on too, and compounding the other things that we had last year, which was climate and a whole set of issues around leadership around climate, and then the COVID. Uh, the pandemic and then in the US you know the race, racial racial and inequality crisis that's kind of imploding um, when we look around do you think with the visible leaders we're in a surplus of character good character an over of overabundant supply when you watch the news and read the papers well the evidence would suggest not in that there seems to be a, a kind of a, huge trust deficit in leadership which um isn't just in the um uk but say they take the edelman trust index is a worldwide phenomenon of a remarkable lack of trust in leadership um i think the most recent figures are up in the 60 percent of people you know, not not trusting their um their leaders to do what's right it's 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 a significant problem, and then there are these clear examples across sectors of leaders who don't seem to be um, embodying the kinds of character that we would expect, like hope for, in the people who are uh, leading our society in its different sectors. So there's an observed character deficit in leadership, which is problematic. Now that's not to say that um, leaders are leaders. You have to be perfect would be very short of leaders if that was the the case um but um it is to say that it's important that our leaders do embody the goods that they stand for in their 
institutions, organisations in society, and perhaps we feel that they're not um, they're not doing that, and that is that is a problem if that leads to um, a lack of trust and a loss of social cohesion and um, yeah, behaviours of leaders have a ripple effect which are much larger than behaviours of um, behaviours of others. So yeah, we need our leaders to embody good good character. That's really, really, really important. And this is the, the thing that makes for good leadership, actually. If you think about leadership as an apparent good in the first instance, right? So um, it's like medicine. Yeah, medicine could be, yeah, medicine we naturally think of as a good thing. Leadership we naturally think of as a good thing. But of course, if you reflect on it, medicine isn't necessarily good, right? It's the same medicine that could do much good, could also do much harm. Think of the opioids as, an, as a recent example in this, the crisis in the, in the US. Um, you know, you need the right medicine in the right dose for the right person um, for just a the kind of long enough duration. It, all of these factors, right, in order for that medicine to be um, kind of land in a, in a good way and have a positive outcome for that apparent good to be transferred and become an actual good in the world. It's the same for leadership, um, for leaders to enact their leadership in a way which truly is good in the world. There needs to be in the middle a commitment to justice, compassion, integrity, honesty. These things are fundamental. They're the kind of middle space, the middle gap, right, that, that leads from leadership as this apparent good to this actual good. And that's character. And that is, that is really important. And many around the world have observed that that's lacking in, in different ways. Of course, there are, there are wonderful examples, wonderful examples of leadership um, as well. Mm. But certainly there are, there are lots of observed examples at the moment of, of leaders who, who don't embody the character that we might expect and hope for. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like um, the character, the, the experience of growth and reflection um, that I've had over the last, you know, let's say my adulthood, it's like if it was a chart, it's like a hill that's kind of going up steadily, steadily, and then whenever anything excruciatingly difficult happens, it kind of goes vertical. So whenever there's a real deep uh, crisis, a, a really big question, a, a fork in the road where you've really got to make a decision that you know might make a big difference to you or someone else, more often someone else, that everything clears up in terms of like the skies open up and you realize that what's going on is going to, it's almost like a crucible shape, change, crush, you know, spit you out. And there's going to be a somewhat of a transformation. And every time I think of myself as having grown, it's been through something like that, which would be way more than the 10 years before. And in a sense, you're like, well, I need those to keep happening, but you obviously don't want those things to keep happening because they're normally bad things. Why is it that this immense pressure either shows our true character or, or allows it to emerge or, or maybe a combination of both? Yeah, I think it's both. I think the pressure reveals character and it can also refine it. Of course, it only refines it if there's that intentional action that goes with it. It can also, you know, reveal character. It can break. It can break people too. And so, it's really important that we kind of work out. Well, okay, well, how then do we um, engage with difficulties such that character, our character, um, and character of others, and character through education is refined and developed and grown? I think that's um, about taking the the opportunity, identifying it, facing the reality of what's 
revealed about who we are, both individually but also collectively, and then not missing the not missing the opportunity. Um, so in a situation where it's really difficult, where you know perhaps we're inclined to to give up hope, to despair, and if you like, these um, you know, all character virtues exist between two opposing uh, vices. So there's like a on on, on either side um, a um, kind of way to, to to drift off, right? So hope is a virtue, a really important one, which we need to orientate ourselves properly and well towards the future to keep going forwards um, strongly. Um, on one side is presumption, right? And that's just this idea that, well, things are, every, everything's going to be fine. You know, I don't need to, to dig in and work at uh, living well properly towards the future, taking kind of realistically into, into account where we're at and where we could go, just presuming everything's okay. And that's kind of a blind, a blind optimism. And we've seen real problems with that. You know, there's there and something that maybe perhaps the, the Bill Gates um, talk on um, you know, from a couple of years ago, the TED talk that's been doing the rounds, saying you know we're in for a global pandemic. Watch out! You know, there's this assumption. No, that, that's never really going to happen. You know, optimism bias is uh, is a well-known phenomenon. There's a kind of presumption there. No, it won't happen to me. No, I don't need to worry about the future. Everything will just be fine. So we don't plan for it. Don't dig into it. Don't push towards it. That's one problem on one side. On the other would be kind of another app, a different kind of apathy, which would just be to despair, to give up. Oh, no, look, nothing's going to go well in the future. It's all going to go to pot. There's no point worrying about it anyway and to, you know, to, to, to go on to that side. Well, hope exists in the middle of those two. Mm. To, to hope is to kind of look, in, look into the face of the storm, right? To look at the difficulty mm. that we actually face and then to push into it in order to go through it. Now, that's the hardest way. Because that means actually looking at and facing up to, you know, look, things, you know, are, are rubbish in significant ways. You know, plans have failed. Things that, that are good aren't going to happen. Um, and yeah, there'll be people listening in for whom we've had to face up to those things in, in, in lots of different ways. You know, we all have, have had to. We've all had things that have um, gone under, you know, in one way, one way or another. And some people have face those in more difficult ways than, than others, of course, but this is the, 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 the time we're going through. Well, the way of hope, the way of virtue looks at that and then pushes into it and, and through it. That is tough, but, but it's possible. Um, and this is where you know, the, um, the important aspects of how we grow as character kind of come into their own. So friendship then, right? So you know, we double down. This is when we need the encouragement and help and support of those close around us to to help us to push into difficult times and to keep growing through them, where we can look at um, examples of, you know, look at our Hall of Fame and think, well, how have our heroes endured through difficulty? And read any biography or look, at, you know, look into the life story of any person you look up to. And I'm pretty sure there'll be significant periods in their life where they've faced and pushed through things that have been really, really tough. Um, and they'll be you know, that will have made them who they are. Maybe we didn't even know about that, but it's those things that will have made mm. them worthy of the admiration that we mm. that we have. Them. That's that's when we kind of look and look in and dig and push into those um, those examples too. When we can kind of double down, you know, um, on the you know, development of the the habits and patterns and and practices, not to to give up on them, but to double down on them. This is the this is the hard way, but the good way. And actually, if we do do that in the face in the kind of in the, in the middle of a time like we're going through at the moment in the middle of the hardest difficult times then we'll come out of them and be able to look back and think wow that time was tough but you know what I, it's been really formative i've you know grown mm. through it in important ways there's a couple of questions around uh character 
changing. And I think we've just been talking about that in a sense that you think people say, oh, that, you know, that person's got great character or it doesn't or whatever, but it's a really a moving thing, isn't it? It's not like, oh, you know a person from 10 years ago. Well, actually, there may have been some real significant changes in their character. Yes, I think that's that's really important. So here's perhaps an important distinction between what people talk about as personality, which is fixed, and character, mm. which um, isn't. Character changes over time. It's malleable, not fixed. That doesn't mean it's easy to change. Of course, you know, if you've repeatedly built up patterns and practices of, 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 of life in a certain direction, they're going to be deeply ingrained. Um, but you can learn to, um, to, to grow, and that's a wonderful promise of, of life, isn't it? You know, we can, we can change. We can become... Um, better people, we can become more truly the people that we you know, deeply, deeply want to be. Yeah, character can be and is always being changed. Yeah, not evenly over time, you know, often, you know, we'll go through patches where you won't necessarily see much change and then perhaps we, perhaps we will. Often they can be around difficulty like we've talked about. But yeah, character is fundamentally malleable, not fixed. Another question here is around... Um, you know, ideas for when things are really uh, difficult, like in an environment like now, um, what are there ways for someone to maintain their authenticity and, and their, their, their good character as a leader and continue to bring people along like teams or people they work with uh, when, when there is so much, I guess, opportunity to, to look and see the despair in different things if there's you know people under immense pressure people seeing their colleagues and friends maybe losing jobs and all these things that are happening or about to happen in a big way um how do you separate you know the ability to see and acknowledge those things but still choose hope and choose to exhibit the good that you wish to exhibit in your character to bring others along yeah, that's a really important question. I think there's something here about just be, you know, a clear-eyed, honest look at the difficulty that we face. So a, a look at it that doesn't diminish it, um, but neither that um, kind of expands it out of proportion either. So be able to look at, realistically look at the situation we're in and say why it's, why it's difficult, but why it's not impossible. And that is the nature of difficulty after all. You know, it's difficult, but it's not impossible. Um, it's difficult, but it's not easy on the other hand, right? That's where difficulty sits, right in this, in this middle space. And so be able to, I think this, this important quality of, of leaders, particularly to be able to you know, take stock, look at, realistically assess, and then be able to say, look, and how this is how we're going to go forward or, and help others to do that. Um, and I think there are a couple of really important qualities there that leaders can, can exhibit. And um, hope would be one of them. And humility would be the other, I think, which is to um, recognize that no one individual, no one organization has got all the answers. In fact, you know, <laughs> we're seeing anything, you know, there are so many answers we don't have, you know, of course, uh, we don't know um, a whole lot of stuff, but uh, there's stuff, you know, stuff that we, we can act on what we, what we do know and act importantly and, um, and move forward, even without, you know, complete, um, complete knowledge and honesty is important there. It's someone like you know, Angela Merkel has been kind of noted widely for, for this, just being really clear on, look, this is where we're up to. This is what we know here. This is, there are a whole lot of questions which we don't know the answer to. Uh, and we're not going to pretend that we do, but mm. this is where we are and this is how we're going to go forward. 
And to own that process, I think if, if, uh, if leaders can learn to do that, so hope and humility together, I think those are a really powerful combination. I think it's that last part that you, that is really what gets people to go over to your side and believe in you. Like the part about, I don't know what's going on. I don't know the answer to these questions. And, you know, I'm sure you're not following closely what's happening in New Zealand, but, you know, we were this golden child of a country with no cases and a hundred days of it. And then on the hundredth day, you know, it all, this, this little house of cards kind of collapses. And I think the, the, the frustration going on here is that the leadership, although it's amazing in so many ways, doesn't seem to want to do that third piece, which is these are the things we don't know. These are things that actually we've been getting wrong. These are the things that we need some new ideas or help on. And the more the days go on with that tone, when you just follow the media and social media and things, people are like starting to lose that initial really optimism, team spirit that the country had. And it's like you're sitting on the couch saying, just tell it like it is. Like we all know it like it is. Why don't you just tell it like it is? What do you think the fear is for leaders to just sometimes just tell it like it is, like they would be talking about it in private an hour ago? Yes, that's a, <laughs> this is, this is a, right at the heart of the thing of where we felt ourselves in terms of the, the story of leadership globally. I think it comes down to power and control, which are often which are ideas which are clearly related closely to leadership, but are, need to be distinguished from it. I think this, this, there's an anxiety and fear that if leaders rec- admit their lack of control, then they're not, they can't be trusted to lead. Mm-hmm. And we always, always kind of worked, you know, we had this historic notion of leadership as um, heroic in a sense that no, the, the very people we put in charge as leaders must be perfect, must be completely in control, must be able to sort out all of our problems. They must be able to do it on their own. Um, that's the, the kind of backstory of how we've kind of come to see leadership, I think. And that story is changing. Mm. Um, but we're in this intermediate point. <laughs> leaders are finding it tense, I think, to, to right. maybe navigate from one to the other. And there's still this um, desire to, to, you know, oh, we can't let go of control. What's the, if, if it gets out of our hands in, and into the public and we say, look, we don't, are we going to, are we going to get, are we going to get thrown out here? Mm. Um, and media plays into this as well. And so wanting to control the narrative, control the story. These great, there. Great and I think thought. that's very hard as a, as a public yeah. figure. Um, it's, it's very difficult to navigate that. It's fascinating. Ed. Thanks so much. I'm going to ask one more question and then we'll run through a lot of great questions. This is something I think about a lot. I don't really know what I think the answer is, but you know, you have a leadership program you want to train these to be people to be leaders students and everyone and we need leaders but what's wrong with just being a follower like why can't people learn to just become a great follower why don't we have any follower followership academies well perhaps we perhaps we should do we actually include followership in our leadership program and i think it's really important barbara kellerman is a professor of leadership at harvard she's got a great book on followership um, and there are a couple of others as well, but Kellerman's is, uh, is, is really, really good. And she says that so long as we fixate on uh, leaders at the expense of followers, that we perpetuate the myth that followers don't matter. And of course, followers do. Um, you know, in, in some ways, there's, there's no leadership without followership. Um, but yet, how long do we spend thinking about what it means to be um, good followers? So yes, the, the answer is, yeah, look, we need to take much more seriously what it means to follow. And actually, followers often get the kinds of leaders that they um, they deserve. It's been said, and I think there's some truth in truth in that. 
Um, and so, you know, of course, it's, it's really complicated when it comes to um, public leadership with, um, you know, how um, countries are configured and media works and, and so forth. But there is this interrelationship between these two concepts and we shouldn't take one over the other. I think it's the, the other thing Kellerman has is this kind of idea of uh, different kinds of followers, which I think is helpful just as a diagnostic for how we can understand um, what kind of follow or what are you know ways in which we might we might follow and it kind of goes from passive to active and she starts with um isolates on the one hand so complete individuals kind of almost off off the grid when it comes to followership then bystanders so that the, the crowd on the side of the road then participants in the middle joining together activists and then diehards at the other end of the spectrum and it's perhaps interesting to think about well where do you sit on that spectrum in different settings, right? In when it comes to followership and citizenship in society, when it comes to followership in um, your, I don't know, um, community or your workplace or your um, organisation, whatever that might be. So yeah, what is it, and, and how can you be a be a good follower and better follower and help those who are leading in that particular context to um, to lead well? Uh, there's a fun video i don't know if you've ever if you've seen on uh, on youtube called the dancing man have you ever watched that i think is it a little like a guy dancing in a green field and then people dance with him that is the one that is well worth watching just a fun intro to, to this idea of followership because you've got this guy who goes out and he's the you know is he a leader is, is you're not really sure at the beginning because he goes off and dances on his own completely and he's just there doing it. everyone's kind of watching on and then Others go and uh, and join in and start dancing with him. And I think um, we'll put the link of that into the into the podcast notes. But I think that guy's name is Derek Sivers, and I think he lives in New Zealand. <laughs> I think so. I'll double check it. Anyway, we've got some amazing questions, Ed. We'll, we're going to run through some. So Jackson asks, "What are two key elements of a person living the good life uh, that you see as most admirable?" traits ways of perceiving perceiving life brilliant question well there there are too many to to mention i mentioned humility already which i think is fundamental i talked about benjamin franklin he had 13 qualities he wrote down he constructed have a look at benjamin franklin's journal when you've uh, logged on this or if you've got a, a a browser open and you'll see the intentionality in which which he took this question about um character and the good life he had 13 qualities. He had a tick list every day. He thought, and he ticked himself off for having um, exhibited that that quality over time. And he went off and he did this for a while, and it kind of gradually got filled up more with ticks until he went to his friends and they said, "Yeah, this is all very good, Benjamin, but there's one quality we've noticed that you don't possess, and that's humility." Um, and I think there's a there's a there's kind of funny side of that of that story in in one way, but there's a deeply important one in another. So I think humility actually is, underlies much of the formation of. Um, the other virtues it's the ability to kind of take stock and look honestly at um, an honest self-assessment an honest assessment of where where we're at what we know who we are and it's from there that we can really move forward so humility i think is important um there are lists of, of virtues courage um is is key practical wisdom is one that we haven't mentioned and being wiser conversations maybe we should talk about that just briefly but wisdom being this meta virtue which combines kind of metacognition and experience but in this idea of character it's an intellectual virtue which holds all of the other virtues together so it allows us to direct life um, to do the right thing at the right time um, in the right way for the right reason 
this idea of, of, of wisdom. And there's mm. something fundamental um, to that as a quality. There are more than two, but uh, yeah, there are plenty <laughs> more others I can mention as well. What about, uh, Anya asks, what are some of your role models when you talk about modeling? And what characteristics do you most admire? Um, I have kind of personal and also you know public figures I look up to from from different worlds, but um, and people from different different times of life as well. But people who have taught me um, to, you know, what compassion means, what courageous compassion means. I can think of one person I learned a huge amount from in a time of life when um, I lived just the beginning. Um, this is back now, what, I think 2004. Um, I lived in Cape Town in South Africa and um, someone there who I um, still continue to think that that person really showed me and I hadn't, hadn't seen it ways I hadn't seen before what compassion and courageous compassion um, looked like in, um, yeah, in remarkable ways. So there's, uh, there's, there's one, one example, but public figures, too many to, to mention in terms of public leaders. Obama, I think, is still an, out, an outstanding figurehead and um, if only American presidents could serve more than more than two terms, um, but um, there are there are there are many and varied. I love reading um, reading biographies, and I'm always looking for for new people to to learn from. Nanya, I'll answer for you too. You did ask me. I, I have this hybrid mix of all sorts of different types of people, but I at the moment I think people like Elon Musk are incredible for the what they're trying to achieve for the world. And they've got all sorts of other complications about, you know, about him, for example. That's one of the ones where there's so many conflicts when you look at him. You're like, I love these aspects of the character that he has, but then these other aspects that I would never, ever wish on anybody. Um, and I've always taken a lot from, uh, from last century, people like Gandhi and Mandela for very similar reasons in terms of what they persisted with for so long and such uh, humility um, grounded ways, but you knew there was a fierce, fierce side to them of their commitment and vision for a better world. And I, I think those kinds of people come along very, very, very rarely. So yeah, it's a real hybrid of different people that you can look up to um, and take pieces of. So it's a fun game, right? To create your little, your board, your, 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 your mood board and, and, uh, and mixture of um, characters that you have in your life whether le dead, living, friends, presidents. I think then dig into them. Mandela is an incredible exemplar, but and, and digging into his life, his life story. Actually, I read a, <laughs> it was my, my honeymoon read with a long walk to freedom. And um, Lubov found, has found that you know, an amusement ever, ever since. But Mandela is an incredible example. But dig into his story, and what you find is a deep commitment to, um, to developing intentional development of, of character. Mm. Um, and through um, reflective practices, through solitude. Mm. Um, and he was, that solitude was imposed on him in Robin Island. But you dig mm. into any example, anyone you look up to, and you'll find these deep themes, I think, will be there. Mm. You know, that's the reason for your admiration is their intentional commitment to become better people. But you know, one of the things like we were talking about earlier about conflict, so even with Mandela, I find conflict because I know that he wasn't the best father for a long time. He wasn't around for decades, I think. And I think that leaves an impact ongoing, but then it's like the trade-off. What does one man achieve for that country, but what happens and what are the sacrifices on the family? And those kinds of things are where I find it really 
wow, those are difficult decisions. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely right. But if we wait to be only um, to only allow ourselves to admire examples who are perfect, we'll be we'll be we'll be looking for a long time. You know, so, so we we can admire aspects of of who people are while also recognizing rightly, as you said, that there are these conflicts, difficulties that they that, you know contradictions. Yeah. Um, in, in, in those people we look up to and of course they exist in in ourselves as well there's this beautiful comment from kathy saying one aspect of leaders i admire is their human failings you, you, to acknowledge them and, and be aware of them um question from lara are there this is a great question for you because if there's an answer you'd probably know it is there are there frameworks or sets of archetypes for the different types of role models of character oh so you might think about three um so the um the sage so in a kind of archetype of of wisdom the hero an archetype of courage and the saint an archetype of charity and people who who philosophers who are working on um um, exemplars can often group into into those three and you can think about how those have changed and which are more prominent through different periods of history as well but that's maybe a kind of way to um break that down to kind of these these big categories the um the hero the sage and the saint um yeah there'll be there'll there be others others clearly as clearly as well and there's a, there's a there's an interesting historical story if you're interested in philosophy linda zagzebski is the person to look at on exemplars she has a whole um moral theory built on admiration for exemplars as um as fundamental to the moral life it's called exemplarist moral theory Linda Zagzebski is the the name of the philosopher. Thanks, Ed. I think we'll end on this last question from Scott, which I think is a really great one. Um, I think I can paraphrase what he's trying to ask, but essentially Eastern literature or Buddhism, the idea of the self is a little bit less rigid in some senses. Maybe there isn't even a self uh, or there is an essential self and it's a bundle of selves that exists over time but there isn't one thing that you can point at and say oh that's me and there's this kind of um unconditioned state right so when you're born as a baby you appear and that's you and then environment changes you and everything pushes you around do you think uh that as we develop and grow our character are we trying to get back to an unconditioned self of what we were? Are we trying to improve on it? Is there such a thing that, you know, we were this thing and we've always been this and then we've been battered around through all this conditioning. Are we trying to go back home somewhere or are we trying to go somewhere new? Well, <laughs> these are deep, deep, deep questions. And they're questions which relate to kind of the, the way in which these traditions of global philosophical and theological traditions relate to each other. And you've rightly identified there a difference between the Eastern and uh, Western traditions, perhaps or the Buddhist and um, the uh, Western philosophical and theological tradition where um, yeah, the journey is very much a future focused one that the, it's, it's not simply about a, a return, but about a development onwards towards the, um, the true self being, um, being yet ahead. Um, mm. and, and, and developed but um, yeah I think it, it, in some ways these are questions to, to push back into yourself you know as you, as you go back to the sources that you might draw on to develop your character 
you know, to, to look into these traditions and think about, well, you know, what's, what are the, what are the sources here? What are the ideas here? How do they, how do they work out? How can you live them? Um, I think it was Rilke who talked about living the questions. I think there's something which is, which is beautiful about that. You're living, living your questions. So um, taking them to the, the best thinkers in the, in the world and um, not just exploring them intellectually, but living them, living with them and living them out. Thanks for joining us on Wiser Conversations, Together at Home. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review it today. And if you haven't already, go on and push subscribe. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.